0: turn your uh, Bibles open to the uh, 1st John, 1st John 5, Uh, if you do not have a Bible, raise your hand and Doug will bring a Bible to you, Uh, it is important to us that uh, together we, uh, we look into God's word, I love that song, how about you? I needed to hear that song today. Uh, It's just me and him, right? It's just you and him here today. It's not about all the people that are around us, even though it is because we're a family, but right now, your heart, your soul, you and Jesus communing with each other, hearing the word being lifted up. Every one of us needs it. And so 1 John 5 topic today is going to be on prayer. And uh, so let's, uh, if you're ready, um, if you're ha- having a hard time finding it, it is, you go to the end of the book and it's the fifth book in, fifth book in, starting with Revelation, Jude, third and f- second John, and you'll get to first John, the fifth chapter. Why don't you do something for me as we hear God's word, why don't you stand with me? In the presence of God's word. 1 John 5, starting with the 13th verse to the 15th, says these words, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. The Apostle John writing these three letters to his church family, most likely in the city of Ephesus. He writes these three letters that are often referred to as fatherly love letters to his children. In the first letter, he outlines it from the perspective of personal encounter. He says these words in the first chapter. He says, what we, have, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. John was writing in a time in which apostasy had started to grow. They were in the city of Ephesus, and so there was, there was obviously much um, demonic activity in the city. Uh, there was the uh, worshiping of the uh, idol, uh, Diana, and uh, within the church, there was a syncretism that had started to happen. There was something that started to grow, and he was concerned about the family of God, and he needed to remind them again through a letter of their center on Jesus Christ. I wonder today... Are you centering on Jesus Christ in your life? Is, I, I know that there are many things that are happening among us right now. There are things, there's concerns, there's, there's events that are coming. I think there's a marriage that's coming up this week. Is that right, Brent and Shana? And, and so there are a lot of things that are drawing our hearts to, um, uh, to what we can focus on. In regards to um, what we're facing, whether it's good things or whether it's struggles. And, um, and so John is writing to you and to me in the midst of this. There was a Gnosticism that was growing, a deism that was growing within um, the city of Ephesus. And so John is saying, refocus your focus on Jesus Christ. And so the book really has three themes that, that runs through it, about who God is, about who Jesus Christ is. First of all, God is light. He is in the enlightenment of your heart. He is true truth. In whatever is being spoken over your life, in whatever is going on in your life, there is a deception and a lie that is trying to surround you and trying to say, I am the real real. And John is saying, no, Jesus Christ is the enlightenment. Keep your eyes on the truth. He is the the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes from the Father but him. And he said many times, truly, truly, I tell you, because what he says is absolutely true. I don't think there's any time in the history of America that we need to hear that again. There is such a deception that is uh, flowing over our land and lies that are trying to hold on to us. And John would say, no, remember to keep your focus on the light. It is Jesus. The second is that Jesus, God, is love. God is love. He is in the embodiment of the very nature of true love. And in a world in which we um, have taken love and dissected it into lies, no, long, no more do we need to hear the fact that God is the embodiment, the very nature of true love, and that he is, as 1 Corinthians says, he is, he is kind, he is patient, he rejoices in truth, he never fails. We need to hear that again today. So he is light, he is love, and he is also, he is life. He is life. He created life from the beginning. He is the true experience of life, and outside of him is not life, but a living death. And we see that over and over again. Life is the very nature of God and relationship with God. Everything that God blesses produces life. And if you are here today saved his call is for you to produce life in others your life becomes life to others i don't know if we believe that there's so much death around us so much brokenness do we really believe that he is life and so john brings to a crescendo so to speak, these three themes in uh, verse 11, the the verse and 12 of the preceding of what we read, he said this, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Christianity is the indwelling of the Spirit of God living within the hearts of a human being. I often say in this place, it's not really what you say you believe, it's what, is, what does God believe about you. Because the indwelling spirit of God living in us is the reality of this eternal life. And so Jesus said in John 17 that this is eternal life, and it is to know the one true God and Jesus whom he sent. The very presence of the eternal life is this presence of Christ in you, which becomes the evidence of true life. And though this life cannot be fully experienced in this earth, it is experienced on a continual growing experience every day. The evidence is found in the fact that there's a growing peace, a growing joy, a growing hope that comes from experiencing its truth. In fact, the Apostle Paul was so convinced of this that he prayed in Ephesians 3 these words. Listen to them. I pray that out of his glorious riches... Of all the fullness of God. To be filled to the measure of the fullness means to be dominated by God. It means to be overcome, that you have emptied yourself of you, and that the fullness of the Holy Spirit dwells and is growing inside of you. To build on this, then, John continues in our passage to the first verse that we wrote that we read. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. It is a direct connection to his first epistle. The 31st verse, the 20th chapter says these, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Life in his name. And so John is writing this to us who believe, to us, who need this encouragement. I don't know where you're at right now, but I know that there's some in this room, and I know that for myself, we need this encouragement today, that we're brought back to what we truly believe in, that we're brought back in the midst of all the lies, in the midst of all the things that are going around in this world, and once again come to the place that, as it goes on here, said that you may know that you have eternal life, The assurance of, of eternal life comes from this indwelling spirit. The book of Romans, the 8th chapter, focuses on this. And just a very quick overview of it. I'll be talking about it more down the road as we go through Romans. But in, in Romans 8, 9, it says, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you're in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, the first thing the Holy Spirit's presence does is, is, is experience is our overcoming of the flesh. How many of us had to overcome the flesh this week? If you're honest, I did too. I did too. And that that wrestling, that wrestling is the amazing power of the Spirit of God inside of you. You realize that before the Holy Spirit, you had absolutely no Ability to overcome the, overcome the flesh. The flesh led and directed your life the whole way. But now in Jesus Christ, you are learning to, um, uh, to overcome the flesh, not just by moral issues, but by the surrendering. How many of you this week was pricked by the Holy Spirit to do something, and it was not convenient for you? And you said, I don't know, I don't know. You know, I don't think I have time for that. And yet in overcoming that is the Spirit of God overcoming the flesh in you. Second is found in the 11th verse of the 8th chapter of Romans. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Your soul and body has experienced a resurrection. Not a full resurrection physically, but not just spiritually spiritually. Physically, because now God's purpose has become your purpose. Now God's thoughts are becoming your thoughts. And now God's direction for your life is becoming your life. This gives that assurance that you have eternal life. And finally, or excuse me, thirdly, in the 16th verse of the 8th chapter, it says the Spirit himself testifies to our spirit that we are God's children. The assurance of being in the family of God. I know that for some of us in this room, that's for all of us, it's very important, family. Uh, It has been one of the most destroyed um, institutions in America over the past 20, 30 years. And we experience that sort of brokenness in our own families. And so to be assured of the family of God, that I'm part of a new family, that even my spiritual family becomes a priority over, even for some of us, our, our biological family. And then fourthly, in Romans eight twenty six, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, and this is where we're going. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Intimacy with God is the work of the Holy Spirit in us to restore us to oneness with God. This oneness was broken in the garden through Adam and Eve. But the through the blood of Jesus Christ and through his resurrection and through the sending of the Spirit according to John 14 through 16... It is restoring and continue to restore that oneness. No matter what you have gone through, no matter what you're struggling with today, no matter where your life is right right now, the Holy Spirit is working to restore that oneness to him. And so we get to experience that. And as we... As we come in prayer with the Holy Spirit, even when sometimes we don't even know what to say, that Spirit is working within our hearts to guide and to empower us. How important is this Holy Spirit to us in our Christian walk? He is the assurance of our salvation. Paul says this in Ephesians 1:13: When you believed, you were marked with Him at, with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. It is the Holy Spirit that lives in us, that causes us to know we have eternal life. It is, he is witnessing right now in your heart. Right now he is witnessing and saying what is being said, what is being read is true is true. Listen to it. Listen to it. He is our our guarantee. He is our guarantee. So I was writing this message. Um, Sue had gone to the store. As she was checking out, she struck up a conversation, which she normally does with the lady behind the register. Sue found out this lady had just moved into the neighborhood, and so she and her little evangelist spirit said, ooh, I wonder if she has a church. So she said to the lady, "Uh, have you found a church family yet? The lady said, well, I used to be a Christian, but I'm not anymore. Now, Sue, (coughs) when I say that name, you already know it. She looks at the lady and she says, that's impossible. Because deciding to be a Christian doesn't come from you, but from God. The lady was a little offended. Because we like to make Christianity our own thing. We like to put God in our little box. We like to, you know, I've got this thing controlled. God, okay, I'll I'll move you into my life when I want to move you in. I'll move you out when it's my life. I'm sorry. That's sometimes the watered-down Christianity of America. So she, so Sue said to her, she said, um, she invited her to come be part of the family at the pier. If you're here today, nobody knows who you are. <laughs> I just think it's amazing because I think the truth is a fact that the assurance of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, it's got to be more than just us. How many of you are flaky Your pastor in front of you is going to make the first admit admitting it. I am such a flaky person at times. And if it isn't the power of the Holy Spirit that's behind this, if it isn't more about God holding on to me than me holding on to God, we got a problem. We got a problem. And so I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. How many are glad of that today? How many have wanted just give a worship of thanksgiving to the God of all, the King of kings, who has chosen us for no reason of myself, but just for the fact that he so foreloved me. Wow! Thank you, Jesus. Now, Where does that lead us? Where does that lead us? It should lead us to approaching him. It should lead us. It should should be the foundation that causes us to run to him. So need him. And that's exactly where the apostle goes. In verse 14 it says this. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. Now, listen. Confidence is a firm belief. It's a trust or reliance on the one you are believing in. It is the fact of believing or feeling so certain in the source of your belief that it produces a boldness and an openness to God and others. Another definition of it is it, 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 it gives a freedom of speech. <laughs> what an amazing God. Just as you guys even uh, professed in your clapping. But as I thought about this and I thought about our relationship with the Lord, I, I thought about the fact that there are times where we lose our confidence. There are times when life's circumstances causes us to kind of shake because, you know, somebody said to us last night, they said, you know, I, I thought if I did these things this way that life would work out this way. And when it doesn't, what do you do with it? Yeah, but it's hard. You know, as I thought about examples, I thought about the fact that Can you name somebody in your own heart right now that at one point in time you trusted in them? You absolutely trusted in them. And that trust today is gone. That's a lot of times what it is when circumstances of life. That's a lot of times. Of, this is what, what, he's, what, what, um, what John is dealing with in Ephesus is people started to gather together. They started to walk in the Lord. They started to, to experience the power of the Holy Spirit amongst them. And then the things from the culture start to come in and start to water in and start to produce a, a lack of confidence. And they're starting to ask the question, Is this really what I should be doing? Is this really the way? Is this true? And and so John is is coming to him and saying, yes. First of all, your, your assurance in the Holy Spirit, your assurance that you are saved because the Spirit of God is working on your life. And you know this is true. I, I love you know so many people read um, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, and you know they just they're just like man they just they got it memorized and it's just and and so they'll say, "For I know the plans I have for you," declares the Lord, "plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future." And and all of God's people said, "Amen." Amen. But they never go any farther. What's the next verses? Can you, you got those memorized? (laughs) Shelly, you do? (laughs) All right. Can you say them? Yes. Yes. So that you know that God is your hope and your future, you find that your life is approaching him more, and you're being drawn to prayer. You're being drawn to relationship. You're being drawn to him. If that's not happening, you don't believe that he's your hope and your future. And I'm going to tell you something. There's been times in my own life that I have seen myself, because of circumstances, because of some frustrating things in my life, that I'm being drawn away from that. And I go, what's going on? This is when I need to do it more. But isn't it amazing how the way that we feel, what we experience in this world, so leads us and guides us in our life? And John is saying, no, no. Come with the assurance of the Holy Spirit. Come in the confidence, the firm belief and trust that even in the midst of what you're going through, that he is near. One of my favorite verses in Nahum uh, 1 verse 3, and basically it talks about the fact that that the Lord's way is in the whirlwind and that that the dust of the storm is the evidence of his feet. He is not closer to you in your storms, but he is as close. He is not moved away. Your life, didn't go down a stormy path because God said, I don't believe in you anymore so I'm taking a step back and the storms are going to increase. You didn't do something right so I'm, I'm separating myself from you. That's not, what he, that's not our God. That's not our God. He's a God that's saying, I'm right here. I know life is not easy. I know that you didn't choose this way. I know, but you know what? Let's step closer together. I will make... Beauty out of ashes. dust, ashes. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you. Some went back to Isaiah. Some went to the song. I love it. It's all the same, but that is so true. And and so the the um, the the author of Hebrews um, saw this. He saw people walking away, and so he wrote the book in response to that. And he, and he's, he's saying no. I want you to get your confidence back in the one that you can trust. Don't take your eyes off of him. And so in the book of Hebrews, there's, uh, there's five, five verses I just want to read to you. You can write them down if you'd like. Hebrews 3.14 says, We've come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold on to the original conviction or confidence firmly to the end. God is holding on to you. But there is a partnership. We need to hold on to what we believe and hold on to the confidence of who he is in us. Hebrews 10, 35 through 36 says, Do not throw away your confidence. It will richly reward you. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He promised in the light of suffering and of struggle. Don't throw away your assurance, your confidence in Him. Don't let that shake you. Stay focused. I want to learn this. The harder it gets, the more I'm on my knees. I want to learn that. There's times at night that I'm woken up and just wrestling. And I've done it a couple times. But I want to just fall to my knees on the side of my bed and cry out to God. I want to learn that more. It is a growing thing. So God, Hold on to the confidence. Don't throw it away. Hebrews four sixteen. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Confidence is the work of God to draw us to look for God. Hebrews ten nineteen says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have this confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full of assurance. That faith brings. And finally, uh, Hebrews thirteen six. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. I don't know if you can see it, but I'm hoping you will. There is a partnership of assurance and confidence. Assurance, I am being, I am, I am being held. Confidence, I'm living out that assurance. It's a partnership. It's a partnership in our lives. So these five references of confidence coming from the book of Hebrew and John trying to encourage us brings us to the, pain, uh, the place that prayer is for two great reasons. First of all, that it changes our heart. It changes our heart. It's not necessarily about the answer to prayer, but the, about that the answer of our prayer is that we're a different person. And it moves and motivates us to be changed. Oswald Chambers says this, prayer changes you so that you can change the world you're in. That's one of the biggest reasons why Satan is trying to stop the family from praying because he realizes that if you become a praying person, if you truly begin to just cry out to God, you're going to change. You're going to change the world around you not because of your actions, but because of his actions through you to change your life. The second thing is that prayer opens us up to being used for whatever God wants us to do. It takes the priorities and puts them in place so that God's priority becomes our priority, that his plan becomes our plan, that, that his mind becomes our mind, and we begin to think, okay, Lord, what, I, I, I hear you. Just like Sue did when she was pricked by the Holy Spirit to talk to a lady at Meyer. Verse 14 then goes into um, this prayer proclaimed by a human in the will of God will not only be heard, but by being heard, it's the evidence that it's answered. So what are the indications that I'm praying in the will of God? Well, first of all, I think the obvious answer is what I'm say is that I'm saved. You know, God has no obligation to answer an unbeliever's prayer, although there are times when he does it when it when it works into his will. But he has no obligation. When John three uh, twenty one through twenty two says, "These dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask, because we keep His commands and He and and do what pleases Him." Obedience and living for the pleasure of God is such a good description of a follower of Jesus Christ. Am I obeying Him and I, am I living my life for His pleasure? for his purposes. It is the surrendered heart of a believer living in obedience that has the assurance of God's answering their prayer. Second. Second is this, a life lived in the softness of confession of sins. Some have taught that confession is a one-time deal. Once you've confessed your sins, uh, they just, uh, it, you're done with that. It's, it's a one and done. Actually, the evidence, according to Scripture, is that, that our growing in the Lord is that we confess quicker and that we come faster. Confession is not to regain salvation as though it could be lost, but confessing quicker to maintain the intimacy that a believer has with their God. Amen. The unwillingness to confess a sin is a sign of a heart that is becoming hard. Psalm 66, 18 says that if I cherish sin in my heart, the Lord will not have listened. It's important to see that the pronoun in this verse, it isn't that others are observing your hardened heart. It is that you are observing it. Uh, If I had cherished sin in my heart, it is the meaning that the sensitivity of salvation is calling out our hearts to be softened. And believers make known that to the Lord. Thirdly, so it's the praying and the will of God comes through salvation and a heart willing to confess. And thirdly, it brings glory to the Son of God and joy to the believer. John sixteen twenty three through 24 says these words, Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name as you and I, will receive, and your joy will be complete. The Psalm hits it in 37.4, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Delighting yourself in the Lord is the submission of your life to God and finding joy in living out his will for your life. As you do that, you find out what your real desires are. Because guess who is created them from the beginning? God's the one who created your desires. And so that is... um, bringing glory and joy. Um, I'm using my wife a lot this morning. She was on the way to set free ministry for an appointment. She was going to lead with Hannah, her first set free appointment. She was shaking in her boots. On the way, she prayed to the Lord and said, You know how afraid I am, but I want to obey you, and so I'm going, but I need help. She turned the radio on and heard, help is on the way. (laughs) And I got a phone call. She was bawling with joy because she realized that God heard her prayer and gave her a song. People, obey him and find that your joy will come through the shaking. Because the whole point of following God is the fact you're walking to something you can't do without him. And so the shaking is obvious. It's obvious. But if you walk through it, you will have a joy that you will not be able to explain. Because you're doing exactly what God's calling you to do. So as we walk into the assurance and confidence of our salvation, moved and guided by the Spirit of God, he promises us that he will hear. And that in the hearing, that as our hearts are in concert with his will, he will answer our prayers. And we will get the privilege and joy of seeing him work. Sue so said to me, once she said, "You know, I God does answer my prayers at times, but sometimes He doesn't answer them right away." You ever have that? Oh, yeah. How many in this room have been praying for years for something? You believe it's God's will, but you're still you're still praying. Yeah, me too. Me too. It's an amazing thing, and I think there's two purposes for that. One is the fact that. God is allowing us at times to be right on the front edge of something that he's doing, and we get the opportunity to see it. And sometimes he's taking a situation and using it so that we grow through it. And he doesn't answer it right away. Um, Oswald Chambers says this. He says, there is a privilege of God's silence. You know, some people use God's silence as though it means he doesn't exist. But you know what God's silence is for a believer? It's, it's not his time. And I trust him for his time. More than I want the answer to this prayer, I trust him for his timing. And so the privilege of God's silence is to not give up because you trust more in the one that you're praying to than then the answer to the prayer. If you were Baptist, I'd been hearing an amen on that one. <laughs> and so hear from God's word some, some promises from, uh, about prayer. Jeremiah 33.3, 3, call to me, and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. James 5.16 says this, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. In Philippians four 6 through 7 says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Two people this week contacted me. During this time of this message, and they said, "We're praying for you." One pe- person actually put pen the words on his text. Listen to him. I, you can't really pen on a text, can you? These are the words: May the Lord strengthen you with His Word. May you be drawn near and come to a place of assurance. May you be reminded that you were chosen to carry the voice of the Lord and may you realize that he has prepared you for, this, for such a time as this.